Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Libertarian Europe. I'm Lucas Nunes. Not long ago, somebody had accused Libertarian Europe of being fascist on one of my podcast posts on Facebook. Recently, I also spotted on Facebook the page Ireland Against Fascism accusing Libertarian Ireland, which is a page run by some acquaintances of mine, of being fascists, as they were promoting anti-lockdown stickers. We have, once again, the case in which anybody defying the socialist and communist narratives is being labelled as a fascist. Fascism is a term that was banalized by the left, just like the terms Nazism and Nazi, that stand for National Socialism and National Socialist. Especially after the rise of the far-left groups such as the Antifa amongst the youth, recently, the words fascism and fascist are used over and over again to attack their enemies. But, after all, what is fascism? This is a question that most of the people don't know how to answer. It is normal that most of the people don't know what fascism is, because most of what is talked about fascism is very superficial, often left-wing biased, as the socialists try very hard to dissociate themselves from the fascists and the national socialists as well, that are very similar to them at the end of the day. The term fascism comes from the word fascist, which means a bundle of sticks. The idea behind that is that one stick alone is weak and might break, but if the sticks are together, they will be more difficult to break. The symbol of fascism is a bundle of sticks tied around the knacks, representing the idea of collectivism for the fascists. Fascism is a political, social and economic doctrine. The cores of the fascist doctrine are the state and the collectivism. In a more superficial way, fascism could be defined by these words of the Italian fascist leader Benito Mussolini. All within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. But let's go a bit deeper instead of remaining in the superficiality. Let's explore more what fascism truly is. After all, the devil is in the details. One of the best places to start to understand what fascism really is, is in the essay The Doctrine of Fascism, written by the former Italian Duce, Benito Mussolini and Giovanni Gentile. Gentile is a less-known figure. He was a professor of philosophy a member of the Italian Senate, and he served as the Minister of Public Education under Mussolini's government. Giovanni Gentile is the ghostwriter of the essay, The Doctrine of Fascism. He wrote most of it. Mussolini's work on this essay can be seen mostly at the end of it, but both figures were the main figures behind the fascist philosophy. Fascism is an anti-individualistic doctrine. The name and the symbology of it make it all obvious, but here is what Mussolini and Gentile say about fascism and individualism on this essay. Anti-individualistic, the fascist conception of life stresses the importance of the state and accepts the individual only in so far as his interests coincide with those of the state, which stands for the conscience and the universal will of man 
as a historic entity. It is opposed to classical liberalism, which arose as a reaction to absolutism and exhausted its historical function when the state became the expression of the conscience and will of people. Liberalism denied the state in the name of the individual. Fascism reasserts. According to the fascist doctrine, the individuals have freedom, but only if it's in accordance with the interests of the state. That also resumes well how the fascist economics work. Economic freedom does not exist in fascism. In fascism, the economy is handled through a model called corporatism. Corporatism is a model of managing a centrally planned economy, and it is the model of organizing the economy of the fascist system. The term comes from the word corpus in Latin, which means body. In corporatism, the body will be the state as a whole, and the corporations would be the subdivisions, the part of this functional body. Just to make it clear, often we associate the word business with corporation, and it can be misleading in this context. In fascism, the corporations are not exactly businesses, but the parts of this body. The businesses in fascism have to be part of legal unions, authorized syndicates. These unions are controlled by several government agencies called corporatism. In fascism, private property and business ownership are allowed, but, as I mentioned before, as long as they are in accordance with the goals of the state. Remember, in fascism, all within the state, nothing outside the state, and nothing against the state. These were the words of the Italian Duce himself. In corporatism, there is this marriage between the state and the businesses, but the state is always the one dominating the other part in this relationship. The reason is simple. The state has the monopoly of force. This is not exclusive of the fascism, but of any form of government. But in fascism, the monopoly of force is quite accentuated. Italy and Germany, under the governments of Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler specifically, were organized like this. The Austrian economist Ludwig von Mises exposes how the German economy was organized in his book Economic Policy, Thoughts for Today and Tomorrow, that was the theme of my first podcast episode, my favorite introductory book to economics and politics. Private enterprises existed in Germany, but the owners were no longer the owners. They were called Betriebsführer, which means shop manager. Germany was organized in a hierarchy of Führers. Hitler was the top Führer, and then there were several other Führers with different hierarchies. Every minor Führer had to obey the orders of a government agency called Reichsführer Wirtschaftsministerium, which was the German government's Ministry of National Economy. The Ministry of National Economy had total control of the economy of Germany. They controlled every other manager. They determined what to produce, in which quantity, how much to pay for the raw materials, and where to get them. 
to whom to sell the products and even the prices. The workers as well were organized by the government. The government determined their wages and even at which factory they would work. The shop managers, the betriebsführers, had no right to the profits anymore, as it would have happened in a free market capitalist society. They received fixed wages determined by the government. If they needed more money, for whatever reason, they would have to ask the district fiher, the gaufiher or gauleiter. In this system, the prices and wages were no longer prices and wages. They were nothing more but quantitative terms in a kind of socialist system in which the economy was centrally planned. In a fascist economy, there is a national plan of development. There is a goal determined by the head of the state. Another important characteristic of the fascist system is the economic autarky. Mussolini and Gentile criticized classical liberalism a lot. They opposed the idea of international cooperation and trade. Fascism defends one specific policy that represents that, the economic autarky. Economic autarky could be resumed in a self-sufficient nation. Germany, under Hitler, also partially that goal of self-sufficiency. and such system, the state has absolute control of every aspect of the production of the nation, leaving no room for innovation unless it's some innovation coming from the enlightened heads of the top bureaucrats. Fascism is considered by many as the third way, something that rejects both capitalism and socialism, but that at the same time embraces those two opposite economic philosophies. But is fascism a third way? Is there really a third way? I'll quote Ludwig von Mises, who made a brilliant analysis on the third way. The idea that there is a third system between socialism and capitalism, as its supporters say, a system as far away from socialism as it is from capitalism, but that retains the advantages and avoids the disadvantages of each, is pure nonsense. People who believe there is such a mythical system can become really poetic when they praise the glories of interventionism. One can say that they are mistaken. The government interference which they praise brings about conditions which they themselves do not like. So, Many people support the values of fascism without even knowing what fascism is. Some have interventionist state. But at the end of the day, there is a lot of discontentment with this kind of society from the population, which is a variant of socialism and that brings the tyranny and the poverty of socialism. What is more populist than socialism and socialist politicians? All of them are promising an absolute government that will be able to solve all the problems of humanity. They promise houses, education, higher wages, free healthcare. 
taxing the rich to distribute to the majority of the population. Empty promises that cannot be kept due to the economic impossibilities of a centrally planned society. The French economist Frédéric Bastien once said, The state is the great fiction by which everyone tries to live at the expenses of everyone else. Populism is not exclusive of fascism. The socialists have always defended almost all the same policies as the fascists. Their agenda, in fact, is very similar. A strong state that will be present in every aspect of the lives of the individuals, controlling the morals and also controlling the economy, the production of goods. In many aspects, the fascists copy the socialists. When we observe that the state is controlling the private enterprises and the fascist system, absolutely, how is that different from the expropriation of the means of production, which is one of the main policies proposed by the socialists? In some way, in fascism, just like in socialism, there is a collective ownership of the enterprises and everything is controlled by the state. There are not so many differences between the fascist societies such as Hitler's Third Reich and Mussolini's Italy and the socialist societies like the USSR. A part of the terminology is being different and the fact that the fascists kept the labels of the free economic system, everything else is the same. Many people often like to talk about some specific characteristic of fascism that is not unique to fascism. I'm talking here about the code of personality. When we look to the socialist countries, we can see that there is the same code of personality in every single one of them. Statues of Lenin could be found in many socialist countries, such as the USSR, Eastern Germany, Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea and several other countries. Another cult of personality happened in the USSR with Stalin. In Cuba, Che Guevara is also an icon, having statues around the country and also the iconic mural in Havana. In China, there are several statues of Mao. In North Korea, there are statues of King Il-sung and there is a clear cult of personality of King Jong-un. On a smaller scale, there are several other socialist contemporary politicians that are also worshipped by their followers all around the world. So, the cult of personality is not something exclusive of the fascist doctrine. Racism is another topic that often people think that is unique to fascism. But racism is something that is not intrinsic to the fascist doctrine idealized by Gentile and Mussolini, even though the National Socialist Germany had racism as one of its pillars, the fascist doctrine developed by Mussolini and Gentile didn't really defend racism. But it's important to observe that Mussolini's Italy collaborated with the National Socialist Germany and just like Mussolini was an influence for Hitler, Mussolini's Italy ended up being influenced by the racism and the German National Socialism, 
passing racial laws discriminating against Jews. Just to put this part in context, the fascist doctrine precedes the German National Socialist one. Mussolini influenced Hitler before Hitler came to power in Germany. But on the matter of racism, if we look to many socialist nations in Africa or in the Middle East, we can see that they support racism, not only based on color, but based on origins or ethnicities. There is a strong anti-Semitism in Arab countries, and there were genocides amongst indigenous tribes in the far-left socialist countries in Africa. Most of the countries in the Middle East and Africa have some sort of far-left government. Marx, the father of the most popular form of socialism and the father of communism, was a racist himself, an anti-Semite himself, despite the fact that he had Jewish origins. Regarding Marx, it is crucial to read his work called on the Jewish question to understand more about his anti-Semitic stances. Che Guevara, the hero of the left wing, was also a racist and homophobe. He openly talked about his beliefs regarding these groups of people being inferior on his eyes. It is important to call the things by their right names. Fascism is a doctrine that is not understood by most of the people. Yet, people are constantly accusing others that they do not like of being fascists. Fascism is a doctrine with a philosophy behind and a very clear economic plan. Unfortunately, most of the people remain ignorant on what fascism truly is, and many people that declare themselves anti-fascists truly defend most of the characteristics of the fascist doctrine. Curiously, these young Antifa are wanting an absolute tyrannical state, but their own absolute state. At the end of the day, in socialism, just like in fascism, we have this situation. All within the state, nothing outside the state, and nothing against the state. So, we have reached the end of this episode. If you like this content, share it with your friends and please subscribe to our channels. You can also support us with some donation at our website, libertarianeurope.com. There you can also find a lot of interesting content, not only in English, but also in other languages. Thank you for listening to this podcast. See you again soon. Stay brave, and most importantly, stay free.